0: Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Sandra Spielberg is a digital health entrepreneur and the author of New Startup Mindset, in which she shares her founder's story of starting, building, and exiting her digital health startup, all while not following the Silicon Valley formula and not being the formula, i.e. she's a woman, she's an immigrant and a non-programmer. She tackles in her book, New Startup Mindset, the startup myths that constrain entrepreneurs and offers key lessons for current and aspiring founders to free them to create the companies that not only they can create, but to do so on their own terms. So Sandra, welcome to People First. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be on That. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation. As I said, I read through your book, um, New Startup Mindset, The Ten Mindset Shifts to Build the Company of Your Dreams. But before we get into that, I want to go back to your origin story. And ironically, you touch on this in the book. So when you were a, a girl, when you were still at school, what did you want to be or what did you think you would be when you grew up? Yes, I wanted to tell people what to do.
1: I share the story in the book, but I was probably about six years old and I am in Uruguay in South America where I was born and raised. And, you know, the teacher is going around the classroom and asking people, what do you want to be when you grow up? And when she comes to me, you know, I didn't want to be anything but somebody who tells people what to do and I didn't know I didn't have a word for that and so I said I want to tell people what to do and she's like I don't know that there's a job for that but then as I you know grew up I realized that there were a lot of jobs in which you know you lead right telling people what to do I guess was like a very juvenile way of saying you know communicating a, a mission and a vision communicating direction right um yes. Figuring out how to how to get from point A to point B, right? So the the roles that it turns out, you know, telling people what to do translates to are things like entrepreneur, leader, executive, yeah. right? Um, and so I didn't have the wording back then, but that's that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to tell
0: people what to do. I love that. So in your book, you talk about the new mindset or the new startup mindset to be specific. So you talk about seven myths, that's the old mindset. Can you just summarize for us what those seven are? And then maybe we can do a deep dive on some of your most favorite myths that you've overcome.
1: Absolutely. And I have the book right here, right in front of me. Um, So yeah, so there's seven myths. And I realized that there were these seven myths, because when I was talking to other entrepreneurs, they would always ask me sort of like the same questions. And it kind of, they they ceased to make sense to me that those questions only made sense if you believed that these myths were true. So the first myth is unicorn or nothing. Right? So this means that unless you're building a company that is going to be worth uh, have a valuation of $1 billion, then what you're doing and what you are is nothing. And we know that nothing can be further from the truth. There are a lot of companies mm-hmm. that don't get to that level and make a very significant impact. Myth number two, you are your startup. And this is an important myth to this film. Early because should your startup fail, it doesn't mean that you do. Should your startup die, it doesn't mean that you do. So the more that we start to, you know, separate the identity of the founder from the identity of the startup, the better we'll be long-term, <laughs> right, yep. As founders uh, Myth number three, you need a co-founder. Uh, venture capitalists certainly want you to have a co-founder, but you do not need a co-founder to start a company. You are generally all the founding power that you need. Uh, myth number four, harder work means bigger success. And that's not true. Better work means bigger success, right? Yeah. And that's not really measured in hours. It's measured in impact. Myth number five, I need venture capitalists to fund my startup. Not true. That is one of the ways that startups get funded. In fact, the minority of New businesses get funded by venture capitalists, but many businesses do not get funded that way. They get funded by revenue, right? You get early paying customers and you take that revenue and then you turn it into investments for the company. Myth number six, I need to be a young white man to be successful as a startup founder. So no, you don't, you know, you could be a woman, you could be a minority. Be an immigrant, um, and you can be older. In fact, a lot of data shows that successful founders are older. They're not these, you know, young college dropouts. And final myth seven: My startup needs luck, right? And you know, there is, of course, a component of luck, but really we can't control luck. And what we can control is how we show up, and how hard we work, and
0: how you know how we deliver and what we need to deliver to meet the needs of the market we're going after. It's amazing. I love those myths because I think about them. I think it doesn't matter what size your organization is. I think about SkyTeam. Those myths are still applied as to what it should look like. And a lot of those are 20th century uh, historical legacy mindsets around what does it take to run a successful business. And they don't apply here in the 21st century when we're talking about a knowledge worker and the technology revolution that we're seeing that playing before us all right now now in your book I mean you lead us through um, three different sections but I'm actually going to start with one of the chapters towards the end where you actually spend a lot of time talking about feelings and mindfulness that's right So, tell us about why those feature so prominently throughout every chapter but certainly are also worthy of their own chapter in the book Yes, thank you for asking that question. You know, at
1: the end of the day, one of the things that I realized when I was looking back at you know, this, this time in which I started, I built, and then I exited my startup Seeker Health was that I had grown as a person, right? And the the reason why I had grown as a person was that I was mindful of what was going on at the times that it was going on, right? And that whenever I was encountering a challenge, I was using that to try to grow a little bit mm-hmm. that day from whatever was happening in front of me. So mindfulness has been incredibly important in my life. Um, it really has been what sort of turns a bad day into a day in which we're learning and growing and being in the present moment and understanding what is really happening to us. Like, why are we, you know, feeling, you know, this uh, resistance or why are we not liking what is happening, right? So that's the mindful part. And the feelings are important to understand because they they carry messages. We are people, Mm -hmm. right? we're human beings, we all have feelings. There is in general a culture that suppresses and represses what we feel as human beings. Mm -hmm. And that is really not ideal. Whenever we're going into something that is challenging, repressing the feelings is only going to make it more challenging. And what I discovered this time of building the company was that it was important to pay attention to my feelings my feelings had like the key had the sort of the clue as to where I should keep pressing and where I should be turning around right mm-hmm, um, and so that's why you know in the book I say this is a book about startups but yes we are going to talk about feelings we are going to talk about mindfulness because at the end of the day you know a startup, Right, is a company that a human being is creating, right, or that a group of human beings are creating, and therefore that's why those feelings and that mindfulness becomes really important.
0: Yeah, it took me back because my first career was 15 years in commercial finance, and I can remember being told, "It's not personal; it's just business." But as you and I know, it is every aspect of business is personal, whether you're a solopreneur or a big conglomerate working across uh, time zones and across the globe. And to your point, those feelings, when you talked about the myths earlier on, are also the clues, are you burning the candle too much that's right are you in a partnership or a relationship that isn't actually helping and is it your gut giving you those warning signals that you need to listen to so that you can either adjust or to your point turn around and do something different that's right that's exactly right so you mentioned the company name seeker health tell me the the history or the story behind the company name because i know for many startup people just coming up with a name that doesn't sound silly. <laughs> Mostly, there is a story behind the name. So, what's That's the right. Seeker That's right. So, Seeker Health, our company.
1: What What I wanted the company to do was bring technology to find patients. We were going to go out there and find patients, and once we found these patients in the clinical trials that biopharmaceutical companies would be doing, they would be proceeding much faster, and the treatment would be delivered to those patients with a rare disease or a complex disease who were waiting for this treatment, right? And so around this time, I was reading Harry Potter to my daughter— And as you know, in Harry Potter, in the first book, is when you know J.K. Rowling sort of sets up and invents this new sport called Quidditch. And in Quidditch, there's a seeker, and the seeker's uh, role is to catch the golden snitch. Um, And once that is caught, then the game is won, right? And so here, the parallel was very similar. That my company asked that we would play the role of the seeker we would Mm -hmm. go to find these patients with rare diseases that were hard to find just like the golden snitch is hard to catch and once we found them then you know amazing things would happen because this clinical trial would be able to be completed and then that this new treatment could come to market to find those people that need it um and so yeah so the the name seeker from Harry Potter was sort of like completely aligned, but also, you know, co- kind of like going one level above that. Um, a seeker sort of described me. I feel like I've always been a seeker, a seeker of knowledge and information and wisdom and sort of how to get to those. And so, you know, as soon as I read those couple of sentences describing what the role of the seeker was and sort of checked in with myself, I am a seeker. It was pretty clear that this company should be called Seeker Health. And then, of course, you know, whenever you're naming a company, you have to go online and mm-hmm. see, like, well, is, is anyone else using this? Is the yeah. domain name available? But all of that, of course, checked out, you know, just fine for this name, Seeker Health.
0: What I liked as well is in terms of the business that you created, it was almost the matchmaker because you were helping those research companies find the patients that they needed in order to test um, the new medicines, etc., that they were developing. But you were also helping those patients who were seeking an answer to the ailments that they were experiencing and bringing the two together in a more efficient way from end to end, mm-hmm. which talks to one of the pieces, a single deep. Focus, because I know as an entrepreneur, thirteen years in, it, there are a million things I could and should be doing, but it's finding that single deep focus.
1: Yes. Yeah, single deep focus has been one of the, you know, most important mindset shifts that I think I've made as a person and as an entrepreneur. So the, the whole concept is this. We live in a distracted world, right? And the job of a founder is a big job with lots of different things to do. So if we're going to multitask all of that, nothing is going to get done that well. And so the way that I found to do things well that require the single deep focus, right, is to apply, is to apply this concept, right? Single deep focus. So what it means is this. It means that we choose a period of time, let's say an hour and a half to two hours. There's a topic and that topic is, should be central to the build of the business. So a topic could be, you know, putting together a pitch deck or putting together a proposal for a customer or putting together a patent application or writing the technical specifications of the software. Something that's really important to the business. And then we set an hour and a half to two hours in which we're going to create a closed container for ourselves. And this closed container means that we're going to be mindful and preempt any possible interruptions that may happen. And these interruptions can be internal, They can be external, right? So we're going to try to turn off everything that is external. And when it comes to the internal, we're going to try to preempt all of these things, you know, going to the bathroom, you -hmm. know, being hungry or thirsty. And then most importantly, we're going to start preempting whatever is going to happen in the mind that is going to tell us, I don't wanna do this, I'm bored by this activity, why isn't somebody else doing this activity for me? We're going to shut that voice up, (laughs) right? And we're going to say, you know what, this period of one hour and a half to two hours, I am going to focus on creating a new pitch deck and why am I doing this, right? The, the, the reason should be very clear. Why am I doing this? I'm doing this so I can get new customers. So what I suggest in the book, which is something I often do myself, is I'll take a little post-it note and I put it literally in the, in, in the middle of my screen so that if mm-hmm. I ever get distracted during that period of single deep focus, I know that what I'm working on is that slide deck. And the reason why I'm working on it is because I believe that this will help me get more customers, right? Um, So that's a single period, a single deep focus. Contrast that to the way that most of us work, which is is we just sit down in a mindless way, right? We start working on something, our email interrupts us, Mm -hmm. our text message goes off. Now we got to go to the bathroom, you know? So I'm trying to avoid all of that by helping people create this, this container, this close container of focus. And startups thrive on that, right? The key components that need to be built for a startup are best built in these periods of single deep focus.
0: I love that. I love the post-it note on the screen. That's probably something I can and I will adopt because it's easy to be pulled in a number of different directions. So the other piece I think that a lot of um, startup leaders find is how and when do I grow my team? And how do I find the right talent that will care as much about the brand, the company, the the clients as the founder does? So what were your learnings about how to grow your team?
1: Yes, this is a great question. And it's a tough one. You know, I think different companies take different approaches. What I found works for my startup was to hire what I called blank slates that were really passionate about what we were working on, right? So really what I checked for as I was adding people to the team was were they aligned to the vision? Mm -hmm. That was number one. That they want to spend part of their lifetime, right? Coming to work to find these patients with rare diseases. Like, was that something that was interesting to them? And the answer could be no. You know, some people are not interested in that. They'd rather be doing something else, but you know, Provided that the answer was yes, then the next thing I was looking for was sort of how they would balance me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because in, in a team, we want to have different skill sets. We want to have different sort of like energy dispositions. And so, you know, I, I know I would tend to be more of a driver, I tend to be more of like fast acting, people oriented. So usually I am well balanced by somebody who's a little more reserved maybe a little bit more uh, a slower pace right and so I was in the beginning I was looking for that for somebody who would balance my behaviors um I hired what I call blank slates. And the reason why I hire blank slates is because what we were doing here, you know, using social media for clinical trial education uh, and recruitment was relatively new, was very new when we were doing it. So I couldn't really necessarily go find somebody who had done this job before. Right. In the beginning, that was not available. Um, And so instead, what I found were people who had a growth mindset is what I call it, which is the ability to learn the ability to say, look, I don't know everything I need to know to do this job, but I know how to learn and I'm going to learn how to do this job. And if I fail one day um, at something, it's okay, we'll learn quickly, we'll apologize if needed, and we'll keep mm-hmm. going and moving on to, um, to the next uh, step in this learning process. So that's what I found has worked for me I didn't grow my team very fast. In fact, that was one of the myths that I was also sort of, you know, trying to um, tackle in this startup that you don't need a very large team. I really, my vision really for this company was to use the software to enable Mm -hmm. as much of our activities as possible. And therefore, I didn't require to have a very large team in order to, you know, service the customers that we had. Um, And so I chose to keep the team small and uh, to grow it in a very small and considerate way and to enable each person to have a much larger job than they would at any other company.
0: I love that. I mean, it's at the heart of everything that we do here at Sky Team, which is tapping into and unlocking the potential within everybody. Because if you do that at the individual level, then it becomes exponential when you start scaling that across a team or an organization. Mm -hmm. And so the work of Carol Dweck around growth mindset um, and just the, the disc, I know you talk about your disc preferences in and your profile in the book too. It's a great starting point for understanding what our, natural tendencies might be, but also how do we complement each other and how do we challenge each other to flex and grow? Yeah. So I'm curious, as you look back over the years in which you were creating and nurturing and growing your baby that was Seeker Health, how has your own personal leadership style evolved? Yes, um, it evolved
1: quite a bit. Um, I think I began the company as, um, you know, being very uh, hands-on, right? So, you know, generally this is very typical of a lot of founders. And I was definitely fitting that mold of being very hands-on here. I'm creating this baby. I'm going to be involved in pretty much everything that is happening in this company. And I think where I was able to evolve to, especially as the acquisition happened, I stayed on to integrate the company was this place where we begin to let go of some of these Mm -hmm. things. I begin to let go of the need to control every single aspect of the company, right? So part of it was, in in the middle as before the company was being sold the ability to let go of a lot of the back office functions of course you know like finance hr all of that can be outsourced freeing up a lot of time for the founder to really focus on product and you know clients but even as you know seeker health was acquired then i had this really wonderful opportunity to let go of even more let go of the product And at the end, I just was focused on customer acquisition uh, for the company. So that was a really nice arch there for me um, in terms of personal growth, you know, from being involved in every single aspect of the company to not, to not being involved in every single aspect, but more directing, you know, providing the vision, providing the direction in which we want to go and letting capable people do their jobs.
0: And that takes courage and vulnerability. Unfortunately, I have had the opportunity to work alongside far too many leaders who, as the company has grown, have not evolved their leadership style or learned to let go. And there seems to be, again, another myth, I'll add it to your seven, that if you're a successful leader, you stay with your business no matter, excuse me, no matter what. But the reality is maybe as a leader, I am better suited to that startup phase, at which point when you let your teenager go, hands off and move to your next startup. And unfortunately, I've seen too many leaders who have felt obliged to stay on and then unfortunately seen their careers plateau or at worst take a nosedive because they're not at the maintained success um, end of the spectrum. That's right.
1: That's right. I think that that ability to let go is incredibly important uh, as an entrepreneur because Almost on a daily basis, there are things to let go of. On a monthly basis, there are things to let go of. And then when you think about the entire arch of the company, right, from you know beginning to middle to growth, there's a lot of letting go that needs to
0: happen as well. And it's learning to delegate either to your team or to outsource, as you mentioned earlier on. So if there was a piece of advice that you would give to your younger self, whether that's before Seeker Health or even just as you're embarking on launching Seeker Health, what would that one piece of advice be? My piece of advice
1: to my own self would be to trust that things were going to be okay, right? Um, I think as I was building Seeker Health, I still built it with a little bit of this kind of inner anxiety, you know, of like, Well, I don't know. I hope this turns out okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But to sort of trust that that things were going to turn out fine. And it's hard to do. I think for a lot of people, it is hard to do. How are you going to trust that things are going to turn out okay if you don't do about it? It it doesn't mean that I don't show up to work at my startup. I show up to work at my startup. But to have like a sort of underlying level of trust that at the end of the day, I would find my way right so i think the trust is really at the end of the day is a trust in myself right Mm -hmm. i'm telling my younger self trust yourself that you will find the way through right that you know obstacles may come up you know situations may come up but you
0: will find the way through so you mentioned the inner voice earlier on so how did you learn to turn the volume down on oh i never will or i can't because or i I've just failed because how did you A turn the volume down, but also keep your stamina and resilience for the longer haul of building the company?
1: Yes, great question. And here's where mindfulness and meditation can play a huge role for most of us, right? Because that's when we realize that these voices that we hear in our head, they're just thoughts. And we work it's not us, right? It's like the real me is the person that's hears the thought and sees the thought, right? But it's not the real me. In the beginning, in the first chapter of the book called Beginner's Mindset, I talk specifically about one of the voices that we all hear, which is generally very loud, and that's the voice of the inner critic. Mm -hmm. Um, The voice of the inner critic requires immediate attention anytime we're setting to create something new. And I put this in the beginner's mindset section because in that section, I'm really trying to encourage people to be beginners, right? I showed up to be a beginner at my startup. It was the first time I had done a startup. I had never incorporated a company, never hired every single employee, never developed software. But what helped me tame that voice was to basically tell my inner critic that I was a beginner, Right. So the inner critic at the end of the day is somewhat rational and Mm -hmm. they can basically say, oh, yes, you are a beginner. So, you know, I, I can ask the inner critic as a beginner for some time off, for some time of silence when this inner critic isn't criticizing everything that I do or how I do it or telling me that I can't do it. So that during that time, I can be a beginner, I can learn what I need to learn to start and grow this business, and I can then show the inner critic that I was able to do it. So that's one of the voices that I think is the the most critical one to tame early on. It can be tamed simply, as I say in the book, by writing a letter to your inner critic that you hear what he or she has to say, and that you are asking them to basically shut up. For a period of time. That's one area. And then the second area is really like this process of mindfulness, of realizing that these voices that we hear in our head, it's not the real us, they're thoughts. And thoughts are, they come and they go. And some of them may need to be paid attention. Some of them may not. And beginning to create this distance, right? From the voice and the thought and the real me, right? That can mm-hmm. show up and actually create something.
0: What did you find the most surprising about the entrepreneurial journey that you experienced?
1: Uh, let's see. So I think there were a lot of surprises. I think um, I was, for example, pleasantly surprised that there were so many customers so willing to engage with a younger company, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, as we as we started growing, there started to be more competition in our vertical. And um, I think I was very pleasantly surprised of how customers wanted to engage in something that was innovative, that was new and that it was a new company, right? So that was like one of the pleasant surprises um, that I think is really wonderful. And then I think the, Surprise on the other side, and one of the reasons why I wrote the book, is how entrenched this mold of a startup is, Mm -hmm. right? I would go to digital health conferences or conferences for startups, and everybody would ask me the same three questions. How much funding did you raise? Mm -hmm. Who did you raise from? And how many employees did you buy with that funding? And my answers were, I didn't raise any funding from no one, right? And I'm having as few employees as possible because I am running a revenue-generating profitable company. So I think that that was one of the surprises, how entrenched that formula is, that the way to create a new company is to, you know, create an idea, go get venture capital, buy a bunch of really expensive employees with Mm -hmm. that capital, and then spend many, many years being an unprofitable company. Um,
0: Yeah. So I love the success story that you share and the journey in your book. So what are your hopes now as you look to the future with the, the writing experience as a speaker? What's next for you?
1: Yeah, thank you. So let's see. I am working on a second startup that's called Adnexi, and we are using technology here to help biopharmaceutical companies very quickly understand their markets, uh, their patient advocacy stakeholders, their key opinion leaders, and their ecosystem uh, stakeholders. I would love to write another book, so we'll see when that when that comes about. And I'm really enjoying uh, speaking about this book and hopefully empowering. You know, other founders to not necessarily have to follow a formula that wasn't written for them and to not feel excluded from entrepreneurship just because they may not look like this mold mm-hmm. that is out there and is covered by regular media.
0: So how can people who are listening learn more, get the book, follow you in a, a cyberstalkery appropriate way? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. So the book is available on Amazon, Barnes and
1: Noble. Um, it's available as a paperback, ebook, hardcover, and audible, uh audiobook. Uh-huh. Um, audiobook, actually, on all the platforms. Uh, My website, Sandra Spielberg, has a lot of other content that I've published related to entrepreneurship and a few courses that are coming up uh, that I'm going to be leading. And of course, on social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, um, and Facebook, that's usually where I post uh, other content to help and motivate founders.
0: Well, Sandra, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for sharing your insights. And I encourage everybody to get their hands on your book. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining MORAG today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and MORAG on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at infoskyteam.com. At That's S K Y E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.